0: music and charity has always been aligned, right? I mean, there's so many problems in the world that have been sort of captured and supported by musicians and, and awareness has been raised by musicians. And so I knew that musicians play an important role in society. In fact, they're very powerful. And in fact, if, if the, for the ones out there that aren't aligned, they need to be aligned because you've got a power and, and you can use that.
1: We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, I'm excited to be here today with Mona Javeri. Mona is the founder, executive director, and chairman of the board at Music Beats Cancer, which is a funding platform that leverages the power and passion of people and music to be able to help raise funds and awareness for promising cancer innovations. She holds a doctorate in biochemistry from Wake Forest Mm -hmm. University, trained as a postdoctoral fellow at the National Cancer Institute. She was actually granted the Spore Fellowship Award for breast cancer research at the Lombardi Cancer Center of Georgetown University. So I'm super excited to talk with her today about how, as a musician, you can use your music to be able to align and connect with, with different missions and different purposes that, Um, really kind of transcend uh, even the music itself, but being able to align with those purpose, to be able to promote social change and and impact is something that is uh, is super interesting. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on here and have a discussion.
0: Oh, thank you for having me. So appreciate that introduction.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So to start out with, I would love to hear just a little bit about your story and how you, you got started You know, founding Music Beats Cancer.
0: Yeah, so I think it's important to at least start off to say I'm not a musician. And nor am I sort of this big music fan or anything. I mean, yeah, like music, just just like the next person, but I'm not a, I'm not a diehard and I'm not a even semi accomplished musician. (laughs) I'm a scientist by training, a cancer researcher. Hmm. As you, as you noted that I worked at the national cancer Institute for years in Georgetown university doing what's called my postdoctoral training. And so my professionally, I grew up in the lab. I mean, in fact, quite the opposite of a, say, a musician where we're not in touch with people. We're really isolated, but doing research. And every now and then a discovery is made. And then what happens with that discovery is sort of anybody's best guess, if you know what I mean. And so, and in my case, we we had a discovery and I wanted to advance the discovery in hopes that it could become something for people with cancer in particular, this was for ovarian cancer. And as you know, ovarian cancer is a very deadly cancer. And so that was the idea is at the time after we made this discovery is I wanna advance it. But the only way for me to, to what we call commercialize the science is to leave academia, spin out a company become an entrepreneur, build a startup, hire some people, you know, raise some money, do the, that whole thing. And it's not trivial. And in fact, it takes a totally different hat, right? You go from being someone quiet in the lab to then somebody who has to be out there and talking about what you're doing and raising money and, and being compelling. Um, but inevitably, my company, we ended up shutting it down because we simply could not raise the money we needed. And This actually is not a unique situation. It happens to many entrepreneurs, but in particular, many in biotech. And the problem with the ones in biotech is that once you shut a company down, there goes the great idea. It's it's no longer available to help anybody. And we, we have this phrase in our industry, we call it the valley of death, where all the great ideas go to die because they lack the funding to move forward. So I launched Music Beats Cancer as a way to support entrepreneurs who are working on biotech and med tech solutions, new treatments, new therapies, immunotherapies, precision medicine, anything, screening tools, clinical, anything and everything that people were dreaming of, but they needed the funding. And importantly, I set up Music Beats Cancer as a charity, 501c3, because there's so few charities that support startups and innovation. Most of the cancer charities support research, and so when I launched Music Beats Cancer, I had to make sure that I made a distinction between research, like American Cancer Society, that only supports research, or you know Susan G. Komen, and innovation, which is basically startups. And we knew we needed charitable funds for startups because there was just too many great ideas that were going nowhere. And if they don't get funded, they can't attract mm-hmm. downstream capital sort of the investors. So our, our platform was just that to launch these great ideas into a place where they could really get commercialized. And then the question is, well, how did the music come in? And that was like purely by sort of, I don't want to say accident, but just sort of happened on my journey that I met people in the music industry. And also music and charity has always been aligned, right? I mean, there's so many problems in the world that have been sort of captured and supported by musicians and and awareness has been raised by musicians. And so I knew that musicians play an important role in society. In fact, they're very powerful. And in fact, if, if the, for the ones out there that aren't aligned, they need to be aligned because you've got a power and, and you can use that. And, and so I understood that when I launched Easy Beats Cancer in 2014, I understood that we had a public that just did not know what cancer innovations are. I mean, they knew research and they knew research for a cure, but they didn't really know how research becomes a cure. And the way that happens is is biotechnology. It's the biotech industry is the one that puts these discoveries on a track to the clinic, right? But the public was unaware. So I needed a way and a vehicle to get our messaging to the people and to get the sort of the popular culture around innovation. And so that's how this evolved. And like I said, like back in 2014, people just they looked at me like, "What are you doing?" What I couldn't get a single musician to be on, to get on board, and you know, even the the startups that we were hoping to fund, they they were scared. I mean, it was like it was just really this idea that was way too hard to embrace. And then when COVID happened, everything changed like literally overnight. We had a new public. New lingo in our popular culture. People could now say mRNA vaccines, you know. Although mRNA existed for us for a long time, but the but for the public it was new, and PCR was now a thing, right? So the the whole thing, came. we found ourselves on the news. We formed a relationship with iHeartRadio, and it just went on and on from there. And so, and we were always positioned. We, we were just right there in the right time. We were already virtual, and we were working with independent artists through our relationship with Reverb Nation. And that's how you and I have many artists in common. We, we source them through Reverb. Huh.
1: Super interesting. Yeah, it's it's interesting here. You describe that the story of you know of of having a startup and the challenges with having started at the beginning because I think those things apply to a lot of different industries, you know, different startups across, you know, tech businesses and not in education businesses, mentorship businesses. I know for Modern Musician that we had a similar phase. And for musicians, right? So there's so many musicians here that essentially they are entrepreneurs too and they have they're a startup and, and they kinda have those initial struggles with funding and with just having the right guidance and how do I how do I take this amazing idea, this amazing music and and if they don't figure out how to actually have a sustainable business then it goes into the valley of death of but for their music (laughs) their music dies so it's interesting kind of hearing some of the alignment there just in terms of the overall journey that they experienced and i think it's so so awesome that you're able to kind of turn inwards in a sense or to kind of look look at people who are going through that same struggle and being able to kind of pay it forward and help them and give them maybe what you needed when when you're kind of in that in that stage so I would love to dig into this idea, you know, you touched on this idea of how so many well-known musicians, some of the most iconic musicians of our time and, and forever, you know, they have aligned with different missions and different purposes and different social change. And in some cases, you know, that alignment. Really benefited benefited both the, the the cause and it also benefited their career at the same time because they were plugged in with this movement with this community. So maybe we could talk about this idea of you know, for anyone who's listening to this right now who's a musician and they're thinking about you know how can I apply some of what I'm learning right now or some some of this conversation to my own career and and being able to plug into a movement and not to do it in a way where. I don't know, it's almost like phony or it's like, you know, I'm, I'm just doing this just because, but in a way that's truly connected with, you know, something that they're, they're passionate about. Um, I'd love to hear your, your take on where they could get started.
0: Yeah. What, like, well, I mean, yeah. quite honestly, when I started Music Beats Cancer, I didn't think of it this way. You know, I just, you know, you, you start something and you don't know where it's going to go from there. And you don't even understand the nuances and and so forth. And and just to, you know, roll back a little bit. People, when I began, said, Ramona, you need a celebrity. You need to get a celebrity involved. You need a face. Hmm. And of course, I, I mean, I'm just a scientist. I don't know any celebrities. And I don't even know how to act. You know, this was like way out of my league. But. And we finally stumbled on independent artists, and we actually liked to work with them because they were, they are more authentic. They really did get excited. So many of them had been touched by cancer, and what we do with the artists is we run these things. We call them challenges, the Music Beats Cancer Challenge, and it's basically it's like it's a fundraising and awareness raising. And the artists who raise the most get something interesting and some interesting exposure. So we, we we were doing this with Republic Records, for example. And they said, okay, Mona, we'll do it with you. So the artists who raised the most will will meet with the top three winners, you know, this kind of thing. And artists love that, you know, and we also did it with iHeart where we were putting artist songs on the radio or we this we have one coming up um, where we're gonna put the artist video on the jumbotron at the iHeart jingle ball. But it's this amazing exposure. Uh, but one of the things I learned in this process is as we were sourcing our artists, I actually spend 10, 15 minutes with every single artist explaining, this is who we are, this is what we're about, love to have you on board, and inevitably the artists share their stories. And that's how I learned so much about cancer, but from the other side. Mm-hmm. Inevitably, they, and they were not all American, they were not all of one particular genre, they're not all one age, they were from everywhere. And it was so inspiring to form this collection of artists that just came together because of one purpose, to to help, you know, deal or mitigate cancer. And to, and and they all felt it. And it it was, it's just kind of, just when I stood back, it was like, it just wowed me because they came to me in a way like we just put out put it out there in Reverb Nation and they came to me and inevitably every single person had a story. And I realized that's our access to the people. Mm-hmm. These artists, it's their stories, it's their music. And it's sort of the sort of that energy that they emote as being part and aligning their voice with us. But I think what you're saying is so true because later, you know, as we got down, as time went on, we came up with this interesting idea. Actually, no, this was during COVID. We said, you know, let's do some events, but let's do some virtual events. And I came up with this idea of, and we called it virtual tributes, where we would do a concert of sorts or a tribute, but to a music icon who had died of cancer. And we started out with Van Halen, and he he died of lung cancer and David Bowie, who was, I think, his liver cancer, and Bob Marley, skin cancer. And actually, we're just about to do Aretha Franklin, who passed from pancreatic cancer. Mm-hmm. And I realized that in, in honoring these voices and these people, these icons, there was so much there. There was raising awareness around these cancers talking about innovation that could be next on the horizon. So there was this education part. There was getting our brand out there in terms of what we're doing. But there was also that what you pointed out was this notion that you could be a musician and a force and a change maker. And inevitably, all these people were. They were all, it's like they were all so powerful, not because they like, In a way, like chose it, but it just so happened, right? They were in the right place, right time. They were brilliant in in terms of their their talents, their trade. They were they were they wanted to do something different, but they were so passionate about it as well. And I was thinking about just with this with Aretha Franklin, and I was just learning deeper and deeper about her story and growing up with her father as a reverend. And it was during, you know, it was during the civil rights movement. I mean, she was rubbing shoulders with Martin Luther King and many other famous talents. Can you imagine what your world must have been? How much passion and influence that she had just as a child? Um, And she was so prolific and, and profound. And I think, she will be remembered, you know, for generations from here on. So I think what you say is so true. It's like you will embody for for artists to embody what what impacts you, you know is is so extremely powerful, if not for you and your brand, but for what you can do, you know for the world.
1: All right, let's take a quick break from the podcast so I can tell you about a free special offer that we're doing right now exclusively for our podcast listeners. So if you get a ton of value from the show, but you want to take your music career to the next level, connect with a community of driven musicians and connect with the music mentors directly that we have on this podcast, or if you just want to know the best way to market your music and grow an audience right now, then this is going to be perfect for you. So right now we're offering a free two-week trial to our music mentor coaching program. And if you sign up in the show notes below, you're gonna get access to our entire Music Mentor Content Vault for free. The vault's organized into four different content pillars: the first being the music, then the artist, the fans, and last but not least, the business. When you sign up, you'll unlock our best in-depth masterclasses from a network of world-class musicians and industry experts on the most cutting-edge strategies right now for growing your music business. On top of that, you'll get access to our weekly live masterminds, where our highest-level modern musician coaches teach you exactly what they're doing to make an income and an impact with their music then once a month, we're going to have our Music Mentor Spotlight Series. And that's where we're going to bring on some of the world's biggest and best artist coaches and successful musicians to teach you what's working right now. And one of the most amazing parts is that you can get your questions answered live by these top-level music mentors. So a lot of the people that you hear right here on the podcast are there live interacting with you personally. So imagine being able to connect with them directly. On top of all that, you'll get access to our private Music Mentor community. And this is definitely one of my favorite parts of Music Mentor and and maybe the most valuable is that you're going to have this this community where you can network with other artists and link up, collaborate, ask questions, get support, and discuss everything related to your music career. So if you're curious and you want to take advantage of the free trial, then go click on the link in the show notes right now and sign up for free. Uh, From there, you can check out all of the amazing content, uh, connect with the community, and sign up for the live masterclasses that happen every week. This is a gift for listening to our podcast supporting the show. Uh, so don't miss it out. Go sign up for free now and uh, let's get back to our interview. Mm. so good. Yeah. You know, it, it seems like music is it, really one of the best ways to communicate a shared emotion or experience and yeah. to be able to bring people together around that. So it, it sounds like, one of the one of the main benefits, or one of the main things that you noticed through doing these campaigns with, with musicians, that they all had their own stories to share, and probably some of them were like really moving. They, they've had they've touched cancer in one way or another in their lives, and their music it can reflect that. It can reflect that emotion from a very authentic place, and it's a part. It's connected to everyone who doesn't necessarily have a voice to be able to express. And share you know what they've gone through. They're they're able to give a voice to that, and it's really really interesting. What do you think for? So when it comes to, I mean, there's certain like this the movement around being able to help heal cancer, which has you know affected so many people and and killed so many people, is such a worthwhile cause, and it, and it seems like you know, there's, it's only a benefit to everyone. Like if, if we can shine a light and we can help provide a movement to innovate and help to to solve cancer. But I also, I think probably the people who can really relate the most and the people who have their own stories, who they've touched it in their own lives, or they've been through something are probably the people who's, who are naturally feel attracted to you being a part of that, that movement. And so I'm, I'm curious what what your take on would be for let's say that someone is listening to this right now and maybe they personally have never really been affected by by cancer. No one in their in their life, like their close, their close family has like they haven't lost anyone to it. What would you recommend maybe as like a a starting point for contributing to a greater cause so being able to connect with you know a mission or a cause or a purpose that that's greater than them on their own where where should they even get started finding you know the right discovering the right kind of cause to connect with
0: yeah and going back to cancer you know it cancer is actually so prevalent that there is is not i should say almost everybody has been touched in some way if not directly, indirectly, it's, it's become too, you know, too, too many people on our planet, in our country and our planet. And it's, it's, it's a disease that's been growing, you know, in this country alone, like when we in 1971, when Nixon declared war on cancer, it's like a formal. This is when, like, the government formally started pushing to support the National Cancer Institute, and you know, really make a program out of. You know, and, and Nixon himself said, "You know, if we could put a man on the moon, we we should be able to eradicate cancer." But here we are, <laughs> we still have cancer. And 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 at that time, I think there were maybe 200,000 Americans. Who died of cancer in the in the 70s? Here we are, you know, in the 2020s, and there are probably over 600,000 people. So every year, there's more and more people dying in this country. And then what happens is who's affected starts changing. It Used to be pretty much cancer affected people who were in their 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, this kind of range, but now you see younger people. With cancer and rarer cancers becoming more common, and and the fact of the matter is, cancer is really hundreds of diseases. It's not just one, and that's why when we do le- lose ideas in the valley of death, that was an idea that could have helped somebody because there's so many, you know, cancers that are not addressed. Mm-hmm. So it it becomes a, it's not just a loss for the company, you know, that that, you know, sort of went out of business. It's a, it's a public health crisis. It's a loss for people and for society. So, so, so I, I think, you know, from that perspective, I just think everyone's affected, but I also think that there is a role for people who aren't fighting a disease. There's a role for people to heal, especially for people who aren't fighting disease to get on board Mm -hmm. because they're not, they have the voice, they have the strength. They might have the resources. Whereas people that are battling and their families, they're they're depleted. And in fact, so many people who have cancer and their families have declared bankruptcy. I mean, it's a big problem. So I I say the other way around. I say, if you haven't been directly impacted by disease, maybe this is your call to action because we need the people that are standing, that are strong to get up and use their voice. Mm -hmm. And I think what happens is, and charities and stuff. So I think the the pe- these people are untapped because there's so many that actually care, mm-hmm. and they don't know where to begin. Mm-hmm. So I don't. And, and you know, we're not Music Beats Cancer is not a a charity for patient advocacy. It's a charity for people to get around innovation, to support the fight against cancer. But it, it, un- unlike you know charities that are sort of helping people who already have cancer, you know? And I think about healthcare is a, a, like a, a flood, you know, and in a flood, you know, you see people drowning. And what we normally do is we jump in and we try to save them, or maybe we'll build rafts and form communities and try to save them. But what we really need to do is figure out how do we stop the flood to begin with? So we really need to be looking at how to deal with problems upstream, rather than, you know, wait till people are sick and so forth. And that's how I mm. see music beats cancer. We're trying to deal with the problem before it happens. And mm. it's a tall order.
1: It is. Yeah, that's it's really interesting hear, hearing your perspective on that. And I've heard it described before, you know, ideally you want to work on if prevention because if you can prevent yeah. the problem before it happens, then it takes much less resources to fix it. While the inherent challenge is that if you're trying to prevent something before it happens, then the awareness around the problem may not be front and center because it's not a problem yet. And so it's much easier to, if someone's currently in the middle of a problem, for them to see the priority and to see the challenge of it versus a better time for it would be around prevention. So definitely really interesting. And and also another point that came up as you were just describing that, because it, it sounds like really like you're, the point that you're making there is that um, even if you haven't necessarily had a personal loss or you've had a personal experience or been personally affected by cancer, that you can still have a very important voice and you can still yeah. help the movement. And in fact, you might even be a greater resource to help the yeah. movement because you're standing on your feet and you you have more resources perhaps to be able to, to share. And what came up was you're thinking about how some very, very talented songwriters are able to write songs for other artists and write about stories and experiences that they personally haven't had themselves, but be able to write, you know, massive number one songs about these other experiences because they can have empathy because they can relate with these other experiences, and so that kind of something just like happened in my own mind in terms of realizing that you you know, that you could you don't necessarily have to have had that that experience to be able to write a song for example and be able to support a cause that that you care about that you know that that you can as long as you have empathy then you can be able to to serve in that way so in terms of Cancer itself, you know. I'm I, as we had this conversation. I'm realizing more and more, like you know, you have a, an amazing foundation as a scientist around around cancer research and what what are the causes of cancer and because yeah. it is such a such an important health crisis and issue. I'd be really curious to hear your thoughts and perspective on what's the current state of cancer. Do we do we understand like what exactly? causes cancer why is it getting worse what are some ways that we can you know, prevent it and this is this'd be great for awareness for all of us and and yeah just be curious like what's the what is the up, most up-to-date research right now as it relates to cancer and how to overcome it
0: yeah i mean it's like a loaded question and because you know the fact of the matter is cancer is part of us and actually it's part of evolution. What is cancer but a rogue cell in your body that has mutated and now no longer conforms to the society of cells. So if you think uh, we're multicellular beings and and within our multicellularity we have organs and the organs are cells that get together and they do certain functions like the heart that pumps blood and the lungs that you know that enables you to breathe and But what happens when you have rogue cells and they don't do that anymore? And then they just grow uncontrollably. How does your body deal with that? And so what's interesting is, you know, a long time ago, like let's say in the 1970s when we declared war on cancer, I think we thought about cancer as being something very simplistic. It's not a virus. It's not a bacterium. It's not like, oh, there's penicillin and we can now get rid of it you know, or we have a vaccine for polio or smallpox, and now we can, you know, eradicate it. That's not Mm -hmm. cancer, because it's Mm -hmm. something within us. And it's something that's very normal and natural. And what some people even said, it's the price of what we call multicellularity, It's the price of being a a being that has many cells. And so it, it could strike any of us, so some of the theories around cancer is that, of course, as you may know, is it's mutations in the, in the DNA. People say, well, you know, key genes get mutated. And if you get too many of these mutations and the cell goes rogue and, you know, but we know that that's not the 100 percent truth, because clearly there's a lot of mutations in normal cells that then don't become cancerous. So it's complicated. Is it stress? Are there other sort of signals? You know, recently a, I saw, I was reading a paper that uh, was looking at pollution in cancer and -hmm. they said it was a little bit of a breakthrough where they found that cells that were like sort of, we've got a lot of cells that are mutated and that are sort of in that pre-cancerous space, but what turns them into cancer cells is a signal, is an external signal. And maybe it's pollution, and so they, this is what they found, you know, in this in this paper. It was really interesting wow. because it helped us rethink what cancer is. It's no longer just a series of mutations. Maybe it's mutations plus sort of a boost externally. Hmm. And but also we, it's been thought that initially we thought, you know, cancer, you know, the immune system doesn't see that you have a tumor because it looks like you. It tumors from you, so it doesn't it doesn't recognize it as being a foreign substance, right? But later we found that, that fact that's not true, that maybe we all have cancer, but our immune system is flagging it and sort of wiping out the rogue cells. However, for people who actually get cancer, those cancers have figured out how to hide from the immune system. And that's what enables them to grow and, be, and, and grow tumors and become malignant and spread is that they've been able to evade our own immune system. So all of these advances have been happening, you know, over decades and that we're getting a clearer and clearer view and understanding of the complexity and that you can even wipe out cancer by treatment, but then the cancer comes back. How does it do that? You know, and we've even understood by the way, which this is something that I find fascinating is that, as you know, every cell has genes that can recreate you right like every cell has all your genes hmm. cancer has a way to capitalize on this the the the, the cancer cell is, is a very unstable genome and if it wa- if it's a if it's a heart cell or a if it's a liver cell and it wants to be a vein it can do that it can figure out how to unleash the genes to recreate its own, a new organ and a new function. That's how smart it is. It's like evolution that would normally take a millennia of time to, to happen is happening in your body, but in a month or in weeks, Mm. that is the fascinating thing about this disease and why it's just so hard. It's like a, like a moving target.
1: Hmm.
0: But that being said, we've had some incredible new types of therapies that, have now been launched like immunotherapies and therapies that where we can take out your immune cells and re-engineer them and put them back into you. And now they've, now they're going to go after your cancer. And now we don't need chemo. Um, We have sequencing and we can actually have more intelligence around cancers. And, and really you you spoke about prevention, right? So if you ask the public, what do you want? What do you want? How do you want to deal with cancer? People would say, I want to prevent it, right? Well, why not prevent it? Because if you can prevent it before before we get it or at least find it early our chances of survival will be multi multi-fold across all cancers but that hasn't happened we don't have that many screening tools and that has a lot to do with the finance around finances around cancer and what pharma is willing to do or not do but then there's the public voice and maybe this is where i see easy good cancer being important because At what point does pharma and the government and investors and who normally make these decisions, at what point do they just listen to the people's voice? And so I see our platform as being a place where people can say, we really want, you know, there's a, there's somebody working on a diagnostic for breast cancer and it's really easy and it costs $5. Let's, let's everybody get around that one. It's, it's, our platform is very much like Kickstarter. And as you know, what Kickstarter, is it was for creatives, right, who couldn't raise the money through classical channels. So they went to their fan base. And so many great movies and albums have been born and widgets and whatnot have been born out of Kickstarter, you know, raises. And we thought, well, we as scientists, we're creatives. We should do the same. And so that that's how this whole thing sort of evolved. And, it, again, it harnesses the voice of people versus the decision of the few,
1: right, who have the money. Hmm. Super interesting. Yeah. I've heard it I forget who had this quote, but this idea that you know people vote with their dollars. And that obviously money means different things to us based on our relationship with money and how much wealth we have, but money is sort of our best objective view of value and what if you want to know what someone values you look at okay well how much money do they have and where are they spending that money and that's right. going to give you a direct look at exactly what they value and it's really interesting the movement that you've created and you know being able to raise these funds i think is a direct testament to exactly what you're saying like this is people's voices and they're literally putting in their voices and they're voting and saying you know this is something that's important to us is something that we value super interesting and and there are other ways that you can vote too that aren't just like you know money is a objective you know value mechanism but our time and our energy and our attention is also so yeah. valuable. And those are things yeah. that musicians can inherently contribute. And you can yeah. contribute your music, and your music in some ways even, you know, it's, it's so priceless, it's so valuable. So you have something to offer, you have something to share. Also, it's just really interesting hearing you describe cancer and just what exactly cancer is and understanding that a, l- a little bit more. It seems like, so you mentioned that one of the the areas that you focus on is biotech and yeah. actually helping these startups who are working on innovation in the field of being able to solve cancer. That, that's one thing that I'm super fascinated by is biotech and things like Neuralink and brain interfaces and the future of what it seems like Apple's moving towards with yeah. bio measurements and yeah. potentially nanotechnology being able to like detect cancer inside of us so i'd be curious to hear what types of research you see that are happening right now around biotech and how you how you see that affecting the relationship with you know cancer over time and eradicating it
0: yeah so on my platform it's people come to me and they pitch their companies right so i get to see anything and everything under the sun that's just kind of what people are working on they're quoting in their garages type of type of thing um and that's the, That's sort of the best part, because that's where all the innovation is, all the creativity is. But what I dream of is a, a kind of journey, a medical journey, where, where we really can be more precise about how to treat cancer, but really how to treat anything and everything. And it, it seems to me, I guess that's what sort of bugs me as a scientist, is that we have the tools. We, we can sequence genomes in, like that, you know, in hours. You know, it used to be it would take, you know, months. <laughs> we can sequence a person's genome in a matter of a couple of hours. We, we have artificial AI tools, artificial intelligence tools that can tell us and guide us. If you've got this, you know, issue in the genome or whatever, you're more likely to have that we we can look at proteins we 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 can sort data like we've never done and that can help us create a a medical experience where we can diagnose and we can clearly understand what what medicine should or should not be taken. Where right now that's not the case. Hmm. You get sick and you have with cancer and you have a certain cancer, then there's what's called standard of care. And that's one, you know, one size fits all standard of care. Mm. We don't go looking at your genome and say, you know what? More likely you're going to respond to chemo X and not chemo Y, or maybe you shouldn't take chemo. You need hormone therapy. We don't have any of these tools. We don't do this as a practice. And, and so what happens is it's, it's what I call this imprecision. It's like, let's just, it's like a crap shoot. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. Maybe we do surgery. Maybe we don't. And I, I think it becomes a painful patient experience and for some people you luck out because you fit standard of care but for a great number of others it didn't work and nobody knows why so when I look at what biotechs I look at ones that can enhance yeah you know the that experience can make us more precise that can, quicken the journey to healing that, you know, and I feel, you know, we have smartphones, we have Netflix that takes you to the next movie that you should see because it's based on what you like. You know, we need the same for medicine. And and so, yeah, we support biotech, but we also support med tech companies that are doing the same thing that monitor that are easing that process that help you with referrals that help you get patient data out there that help privacy all the many, many things that are that are issues today. But even, you know, even issues that are not grave like cancer, it, it, it seems so archaic in terms of how we actually handle them. Smaller things, you know. Oh, you have strep throat. Well, let's, you know, it takes three days, you know, to get a culture. Like we should be able to do it like this. And I think COVID changed a lot of that for us, you know, it, you, you know, I, I, and I remember when people were getting COVID, there were no tests. Okay. You know, so what do we do? Cause we don't know if we're sick or not, we have these symptoms. So do we, act? I mean, why should we act if we don't have a test? And it, it, it these were the, these were the breakdowns that just happen every day for people with cancer, you know? So I think I look for companies that can, I mean, what, what we traditionally look for was a cure right? Everybody wants the cure, but there may not be a cure. There might be some really great treatments that can, you know, get you through or get you to a point, but is there something called the cure? And again, you know, cancer is part of you. So maybe you saw one cancer, but there might be another one lingering somewhere. And, and even as scientists, we don't use the word cure. I think what's more impactful is to really catch it before, before it can wreak havoc, screening and being really precise in how we treat patients down to male, female, uh, you know, person of color, where you live, you know, even those sort of differences in our genetic makeup can make, you know, can can influence or can be part of whether or not drug works for you, right? Mm -hmm. And that's been another issue, right? A lot of clinical trials are, done on white men, but they don't include enough women or they don't include enough African-Americans or Asian-Americans. So all of these things have become holes in our in our system that people are aware of. But then the question is, well, how do we actually change that? And, and, And some of the way that that's happening is is that convergence of artificial intelligence. Those tools are helping us, you know, scale and get better and more precise at what we do.
1: Hmm. Wow. I I love this conversation. It's it's so interesting here. I mean, what you're describing is, it seems like a movement kind of globally that's happening as artificial intelligence, you know, increases and intelligence is increased personalization. And all of our, these algorithms are basically doing exactly what you described. They're personalizing content based on data that they understand about, about you. And what's really interesting is it kind of brings up some controversy or some some good conversations or discussions to be had around our our data and our privacy. And yeah. a lot of these services, they're there and they're providing an invaluable service. You know, like being able to personalize things to you based on who you are is great. But there needs to be transparency around that data and like what is being used for, and that you know, you're essentially writing off on the fact that. You're okay with these you know, platforms using this data to personalize things for you, but it seems like a no-brainer, or at least like a like a huge opportunity, is in the medical field and having a personalized data set of you and all of your medical history, your family's yeah. medical history. Yeah. You walk in and you scan your ID, and boom, it has you know everything that's relevant to to you and your your health history. Can I can I tell you about kind of a far out idea?
0: Yeah. It may not so, be far out. There may be a reason to
1: be working on it. <laughs> I'm sure there is. The fact that we're having this conversation right now, I've heard this, this like whenever you have an idea, it's, it's like, it's probably popping up. The bubble is popping up around the world. Like there's other people having the same idea because we don't live in a vacuum, right? Like we all live in the same, you know, we have the same inputs, um, or at least relatively. But the idea is what we've referred to kind of internally as a uh, singularity records. Mm -hmm. And Singularity Records is the idea that everyone could have a decentralized connected to a decentralized platform that's not owned by a private company, but it's decentralized on Web three and functions like an OAuth provider in the sense that OAuth is a very common you know service nowadays for Mm -hmm. things like Google and Facebook and any data provider to basically. It's whenever you like log in with Google, for example, then you might click on login with Google and then you go to Google and it says, do you want to allow this app to access your email? And it really puts the ownership of authorization in your hands as the end user. Mm -hmm. And so the idea with Singularity Records is, what if we had a global ID for every human (laughs) in the world? that was associated with them and their essentially their digital avatar and we all had one and this digital avatar rather than trying to hide you know with like there's so many privacy trackers or things like we're trying to hide our data from everyone because you know we wanted you know we want to be keep it safe but but that's you know hurting the ability to for good actors to be able to use that data to be able to personalize things to you And so what if there was a decentralized platform that you don't have to worry about someone else owning this very sensitive data, but it was 100% in your hands, but it also, you, know, there, you had a digital avatar where you could fill it out and maybe there's a big, long questionnaire where you get to answer all of the details that, they, all the things that you're interested in, all of the different aspects of your life. And maybe there would be some sort of onboarding sequence like health-wise where you go into a hospital one time and they basically do import of all of your health data as, mm-hmm. uh, as much as possible. And then you have a global ID. Everyone in the world has one. And you know, this is would probably be connected with anytime you're like traveling, instead of needing a passport or a driver's license, like you have an ID. Mm-hmm. And when you're going to the hospital, you know, you can talk to your doctor and, and they can request access to your medical data, but just your medical data. And you can grant access to it based on you know having this this record. Yeah. And yeah, it's a it's a pretty tall, tall order, obviously, to create the like I you said, think like, that, like th-
0: that this is happening. I think to take this yet to the next level is that, in fact, people's da- data, which will be on blockchain, right, to secure it, is now also considered an asset like any other asset. You mm. buy a house and you've got a physical property, but mm. you also have your health data as an asset on a blockchain property type of thing. And that could be worth a lot of money. And that's going to be in wills and ways that people can leverage it. And it's like a banking thing, right? So people are already seeing health, you know, encrypted in these ways and having it easy to access by giving people, giving clinicians keys. In fact, we had somebody on our platform who was doing just that, is because they were they wanted to, and they were doing it through an app in the hopes that they could help those children in particular who were fleeing hospitals when Ukraine was being bombed. And you know how a lot of those hospitals were being bombed and then they'd lose all their medical records, but well, what if they were stored, you know, on blockchain so that it need physical buildings, right? You could flee out of Ukraine and go to Poland and, and continue your treatment. And, and there were many children that were doing just that, you know, they were on, on, you know, hooked on these sort of respirators or whatnot and just trying to to cross the border and, and get. Yeah. But but along with that, they needed their hospital records. So this is sort of a new way. Like, could we do this? And could you could could we all do this, like you were saying, and be anywhere and access any hospital at the same time? Can we put a value to our our, our records? A monetary value kind of like we talk about NFTs and all that stuff like why can't health data also have that kind of value because right now a lot of groups are taking our health data for free and doing things with it mm-hmm.
1: you know yeah, and spending you know billions of dollars on advertising for marketing intelligence and essentially doing yeah. exactly that like they're spending yeah. money to acquire you know, data from relevant, from relevant people. And, you know, maybe rather than having a bridge that you're paying in order to, you know, to guide you to the right person, there's, you know, you're able to directly pay that money to the, to the end users. Yeah. Super interesting. Yeah. And it kind of brings up the question too of, Mm -hmm. man, like how, how could we organize that in a secure way? Because it's so... Like having that, that data, like how do we make sure that there's, that there's not an owner of it that you can, I don't know, like, it seems like it's really important to make sure that the end user data is in the hands of the, the end users, as opposed to in the hands of a specific government, <laughs> for example, maybe. True. True. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But then again, maybe there's a, maybe there's an Oauth integration with the government It's like with America. It's like, hey, do you want to enter America? Great. We're requesting access to this data from you so that we can know you know are, are you someone who, who doesn't have a criminal record that's globally recognized or something like that So interesting. Okay. Well, anyways, this, this conversation is uh, my, one of my favorite things to geek out about. Is like going really far out and talking about stuff like this. So it's so so cool to see what you've created and the movement that you've plugged into, and how you've integrated with really the the influence and the the power, you know, of musicians and their craft and their yeah. voices, being able to really mm-hmm. to emote and be able to connect with a greater purpose like this. So cool. So thank you again so much for taking the time to hop on here and and talk through this and kind of geek out with me about some of this future tech stuff. And for anyone who's here right now who you know is hearing this is like this sounds incredible. I'd love to be connected and be a part of this movement. Where can they go to learn more about Music Beats Cancer?
0: Yeah, so it's musicbeatscancer.org. That's our website, and they can contact us through there. And also, they can contact me directly, mona at musicbeatscancer.org. We are hosting a virtual tribute to Aretha Franklin next Thursday, September 22nd, 7 p.m. Eastern. So, yeah, we would love for people to join and be part. It's free. Actually, we have a headliner, Jay Holiday, who will be, he's going to be, the, I guess, doing a medley of a of, of, three, four of her songs, plus two of our partnered artists will be opening for Jay Holiday. So, but but as we spoke about in the beginning, it's, it's really this chance to bring together music and purpose and real change, you know, on this planet. And so I encourage people to come to that. But in future, we've got a lot of other things we have. I mean, we were talking about biotechs. So we have a event coming up next month to stay tuned for. It's called the Battle of the Biotechs. It's a pitch competition, but it's judged by musicians. Wow. So yeah, and we have a couple of Grammy award-winning musicians that are on this judging panel. And the idea is that they decide, you know, who, what, what, which of these biotechs should win first, second, and third place. And the audience gets to vote. So we have polling going on, we have judges, we've got prizes. And the whole purpose of this is to help launch our biotechs on, on our crowdfunding site and to get the people to weigh in, <clears throat> you know, so, so it's never kind of been done before. And also it's really weird to have musicians to judge biotechs. And <laughs> so the musicians were getting a little scared. And I said, no, 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 that's the point. If mm. you guys can't understand this, mm. then we're not doing our job. We need to create innovation. So people get it and we'll get behind it. And, it, and the, the winners is not about like, well, what's, the most lucrative company going to be. It's who's got an innovation that's going to be perhaps the most powerful for the world and for mitigating the global cancer burden. That's the way we need to see innovation. So, yeah, so that's another cool thing that we've got cooking
1: up. Wow. Very cool. The whole platform that you created is such a mm-hmm. such an interesting thing to thing to watch. So thank you on behalf of all of us and on behalf of everyone who has been personally affected by by cancer, especially. Thank you for what you've built and and what you're doing. And like always, we'll make sure to put the links for everything in the show notes for easy access. And yeah, thanks again so much. It's been it's been great talking with you today.
0: So appreciate it. Take care. Thank you, Michael.
1: Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guests today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then I'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That that really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take their music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.